0: This week, I'm at Populux Brewery over in Ballard. It is the smallest brewery in Ballard by a long shot, and head brewer and co-founder Pete shares all the juicy details. For all the time we spent talking, though, we barely scratched the surface of what Peter had to share. I'm the cycling certified Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. Uh, Let's start with some introductions. Who am I talking to? Uh,
1: Peter Charbonnier, uh, co-owner, Populux Brewing. Uh, my wife and I own the brewery together and uh, Populux Lux is down here on 49th Street in Ballard. We've been here since uh, 2013 2013 March 2013 was when we opened uh, the old space um, but uh, we were had signed the lease about a year prior to opening so incorporated and got our got the ball rolling basically in 2012
0: mm-hmm. um, So you mentioned your wife as a co-owner is she also a brewer? No, no, No. my wife uh, still
1: has her day job, um, has her own career, um, does her own thing, works here as well, um, does all of our promotion, a lot of our um, advertising, a lot of the look and the feel, coordination of things. Um, uh, Mainly working here, it's myself and Penny, who's our our bar manager, um, and she manages all the bartenders and coordinates a lot of the events that happen here and and does some other things. Okay. Um, And then me on the production
0: side. Gotcha. So to get a sense of scale, um, we're over here in Ballard, which is... You're one of maybe, what is it, 11 breweries down in the area? Maybe 10?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's
0: 11 now. Okay. Soon to be 13. Hmm. You are... Well, 13. The, the, well, there are two new ones open up, huh? Which, which one are those? I've heard of one, I think, but I forget what they're called. And then... So Fair is going to be right down the street. Oh, uh, okay. We're, we're here at 826 Northwest
1: 49th. Fair is going to be at 832? Maybe 834. Depends... I don't know. They're working on their address. Yeah. Um, and then, I, I don't think it's a secret um, that uh, Urban Family is moving in across the street from Stoop.
0: Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Okay. Fun update. Uh, maybe I did know that. I should go that's check. just okay. what I've heard. I, I mean,
1: no official word, but that's, okay. that's what I've
0: heard. <laughs> um. Okay, so let's see. And of those breweries, where would you say you lie in terms of size? I, I, I would, I'm, if I'm guessing, you're probably on, like, in the, well, I don't know, probably right in the middle. We are at the very bottom. Okay. <laughs> in size. Yeah. Um, there is still nobody
1: smaller than Populux hmm. uh, as far as yearly production goes uh, in Ballard. Um, I would think that the closest. Closest to us? I mean, it depends on how you count it. Um, Kevin doesn't actually brew at Northwest Peaks. He doesn't actually brew at that mm-hmm. location anymore. We, the community, we all count um, Northwest
0: Peaks. Um, That's right. They have a location in like Georgetown or somewhere. Uh, south yeah, there. they're in, they're in uh, um, Columbia City. They're right. in the old schooner um, um, Spinnaker Bay. Mm.
1: Space. excuse me. Um, but yeah, with a seven-barrel brew house, seven-barrel hot side, um, we fluctuate between, I'd say, 350 and 450 uh, b- barrels per year. Mm-hmm. Um, we might be get to, to 500 this year um, If we can get another tank in then we can get up to um, You know, we might be able to you know hit 750 next year if we maxed out the entire space as it's built out now here uh, We could do close to 2000 um, But then I'm, I'm turning that seven barrel system quite often, you know, double benching yeah. everything and all the rest of it. So um, everybody else has at least a 15-barrel hot side uh, in Ballard. Everybody else? Everybody
0: else, yeah. Even Stoop, who's got like a pretty pretty tight squeeze over there.
1: Yeah, I think Brad's on a 15 or 20.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Everybody's got at least a 15. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're the only people with a 7. Now, the reason that we have the 7, and the reason why, even though we're in a bigger space now, um, is that we came from such a small space. So because our space over there was so small, and we didn't plan on moving anytime soon, um, we got a custom-built seven-barrel brew house because it was the biggest brew house that we could fit in our existing space. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, when this space became available, we moved over, and I brought the seven with me. Um, so we have room here. We could upgrade to a fifteen, um, but you know, it's it's all sort of you want to max out your tank farm first, and then consider upgrading your your brew house. It's a you know, you 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 work with the the market forces as they are, and so. Um, I wouldn't invest in new equipment right now regardless um, yeah. just because the tariffs are starting to hurt people. Hmm. I think that as we see a slowdown in new breweries opening up, that will ease some of the pressure that some of the manufacturers have too, which makes them more pleasant to work with.
0: Um. <laughs> you mean as more so. breweries open up, they're going to have more, they'll be manufacturing more brew houses. So it's like less of a big deal. for.
1: We, yeah. When we got our brew house in 2014, 20- 15 we were really working with them in 2015 2014, 2015 um, there was a real rush and right. real pressure on the manufacturers to produce more and more systems um, and again being a small brewery ordering a small system um, you know we end up on the bottom of the pile uh, for, for people who uh, you know get attention right um, and so we, we found it that a real struggle to work with manufacturers at that time. Because you know, it was always like, "Well, I'll get right, I'll get right to you." I got this this other guy over here with you know deep pockets and a 60 barrel system. Yeah, I got to take care of him first. So I think that you know, as the market kind of slows down, um, it'll be easier to work with manufacturers. And us also, I just I'm waiting. Gotcha. We're waiting on the whole tariff thing to blow over too. So
0: you um you were mentioning so we are talking about like the logistics and sort of the the thought process for expanding and you mentioned maxing out your uh your fermenter farm or what did you call it uh the is that, is tank farm the yeah. tank farm you know what what is the, is that the standard priority list for a brewery uh yeah typically um you know
1: like i said everybody most everybody else has has 15s um 15 barrel hot sides in in Ballard um and then um most everybody's going to be double batching so mm-hmm. they'll have a 15 barrel hut side going to 30 barrel fermenters um if you're lucky envelope and you make a ton of loggers then you're quad batching into a 60 off your 15. um you know and, and that all has to do with you know how you uh, approach the market right so if you're doing a lot of wholesaling um, then you end up just upsizing your tanks right it doesn't matter that you're, you're, you're spending the man-hours on the brew house as long as you can get that tank filled. Um, the uh, the money that you invest in the brew house is, is the most significant investment, um, whereas the, the actual tanks that you get are fairly inexpensive uh, in the overall scheme of things. And so you wanna spend all your man-hours basically turning your brew house to fill your tanks up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I mean by like maximizing your tank farm. So if you have space, and right now I've got um, because we just moved in here, um, uh, I'm hoping to bring on more tanks this summer um, because my, my chiller, my glycol chiller, has the capacity to chill more tanks. Um, and so we just got a 15 this past summer, uh, and that's really helped. Um, but again, I'm, I'm working with a 7-barrel, double batching into the 15. Um, so it, it, it's, you know... We, Space-wise, I could probably stick a uh, forty-five in there and triple batch into a 45, but it really just depends on how you want to approach the market.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I think I'd rather I get, you know, a bright tank in there and have as many unit tanks as I can in a single bright that I can package off of uh, and do it that way. Um, and then, you know, at that point, you outgrow your facility, essentially. Um, and this is what happened when we were in our old space. We had the seven-barrel system. I had two seven-barrel unit tanks and then two open-top seven-barrel um, tanks that I got from um, Holy Mountain, and they Holy Mountain had bought them from um, Elysian Fields. Uh, they're Steve Luke's old tanks uh, that he was using over there, but they're they're pretty inefficient, hard to work with. Um, you know, if you're making a bunch of cascale, they're great, but um, they don't hold pressure or anything like that, so uh, I'd probably swap those out, or at least one of those out, for another seven, and then get a couple more 15s in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then it's like you have to start thinking, okay, what's what's the goal with the business is the goal to be a production facility and be the next Georgetown or is the goal to be, you know, a tasting room and, and keep it small and do smaller projects that have significant returns so that you're not chasing that, those low margins of tap handles
0: and, you know, getting a distributor and doing all that. I want to talk more about that, but first you mentioned something that I don't recognize. Um, did you call it a unit tank or a unit tank? Oh, unit tank, yeah. What is that?
1: Unit tank, meaning um, uh, a tank
0: that, um, like the conical closed-top
1: tanks that you see mm-hmm. everywhere. Right. Um, so essentially it's called a unit tank because I don't have to move it. Everything can be done in one tank, mm. right? I don't have to move it over to a bright tank to carbonate it and crash it.
0: Mm. Okay. Uh, so
1: those steep, steeply conicled, conical-bottomed tanks... Right. Um, you can brew beer, dry hop in there, do everything you need in that tank, dump everything out the bottom, have relatively clear beer, close the tank up, and then carbonate it through your, your carb stones. Mm-hmm. And so it's a unitank. So it's all a single tank. Everything's done in the same tank. Okay. Um, I
0: didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and so the alternative to having that is, also, is having a separate bright tank that... Essentially, yeah, mm-hmm. so
1: you, you'd have like shallow bottom tanks, there's, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of, you know, Grundies. there's all these um, things. It's, it's fairly well the industry standard now to use unit tanks, yeah. um, just because it saves you the, the, the real estate in your, in your brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way things used to work, you would have various different vessels that you would ferment in, mm-hmm. but the second you wanted to carbonate or package, you'd basically move that beer into your bright tank, mm-hmm. you know, for a couple of days, carve it there, fine it, um, and package off that. Gotcha. So nowadays, it's just, you can use the single tank because of the change in design.
0: Okay. That is so the the long hard process, the old olden days process you just mentioned is sort of more similar to the home brewing type of process. If you're brewing a five gallon batch and you put it into a put it in your own keg or you carve it and serve it, and then yes. in order to draw a parallel to someone who's not maybe looking at the tanks right now.
1: Right. Right. It's a, the 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 uh, effectively you're uh, moving to secondary. Mm-hmm. Right, so you're racking off your yeast cake and moving into a yeah. secondary kind of thing.
0: Um, okay, so you started talking about sort of the mark, you know, balancing market forces and talking about f- focusing on taproom related projects and the difference between that and working on production. As far as I know, most of the breweries. Well, okay, so I'm about to <laughs> foot in mouth almost too fast. Rubens is of course going for production, and they're definitely selling everywhere. They're on they're on shelves everywhere, um, but most of the other breweries around here aren't really right aren't you guys mostly tap room oriented
1: um, no um, pretty much everybody uh, well Northwest Peaks obviously um, they're very much tap room oriented <clears throat> um, I think that uh, in wisely uh, most of Kevin's accounts uh, for wholesale are closer to his actual brewery um, the actual production brewery um, and not and not in the north end um, but uh, pretty much everybody else obviously Lagunitas... They do brew some batches at yeah. their facility here, um, and that's all served out of the uh, the tap room. They've got a few accounts around town. I saw, um, I saw their hazy CDA was on at
0: uh, hmm. at uh, Brower's the other day. Oh, funny! Um, hazy CDA sounds like one of those beers where it just sort of came out of the fen- fermenter that way. You're like, shit, what style is this? <laughs> you you know, it sounds good on paper, <laughs> but like the thing is that
1: a dark beer
0: doesn't benefit from That's being hazy. It's also
1: hazy. <laughs> Tensa, you know what uh, gray water is? No. Okay. Well, it kind of looks like that. It's, 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 I don't know. Hazy, Icy, haze in general to me are unappealing in appearance. Yeah. So I, I, I'm the worst person to criticize. But uh, yeah, I, you know pretty much everybody else goes to market um, either in their own strategy. You know, mm. um, Lucky Envelope uh, pushes out, like I said, their Hellas Lager quite a bit. Yeah. They have a Raspberry Sour that they're pushing out now. They've got a sales team, they've got several vans, right? So they're out delivering. Um, Stoop does a lot of uh, bars, restaurants, you know, so uh, I don't know, you know, we'll get into this, but other people's business is something that is constantly going through my head. Mm -hmm. Um, Not like, what are other people doing? But just reminding myself that I have no idea what other people's business is, right? right? Because it's their business and they run it differently than I do and you know, others, other people's business is, is, a, is a mystery to me, unless you sat me down and opened up their books and showed me. Uh, it's it's all a mystery. So wh- yeah. who knows? But um, yeah, Stoop, um, you know, Stoop from the get go is structured as a, a production brewery with a, a associated retail, right? Like the tap room is there and it's good. Um, but if you look at the physical plant, you can see the difference between us and Stoop right, Stoop has way more space dedicated to actual beer production. Mm-hmm. And we here at Poppylikes have way more space dedicated to the tasting room, Yeah, right? And it just shows where the market fo- focus is, right? Stoop mm-hmm. has to produce a lot of beer, and they do produce a lot of beer, a lot of good beer, um, and they get that beer out. They get it to bars, restaurants, it's, it's packaged, it's um, half barrels and sixthals. Um, You know, Rubens uh, is a crikey machine on most days, right? So, um, and, and that's, I think. Crikey is their IPA. Crikey their IPA, right. <laughs> so, um, I, I think that's a, um, from talking to Adam, you know, I think that's, that's a, um, you know, kind of a, a natural result of signing with a distributor, right? The distributor's is going to come back and say, Hey, we need more Crikey, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what the customers are buying. You know, the bar owners, they want an IPA. Crikey's a delicious IPA. And so... It just—that's how, you know, things start rolling that way, and so you you focus your direction on on sort of making the distributor happy, but at the same time, it helps. You know, that's the bottom line: is people want IPA, you make a lot of IPA. Um. Georgetown, same way, right? When they started out, it was like, oh, we need to make more Manny's. We're selling tons of Manny's. Manny's is
0: everywhere. Yeah. Uh, So. Five years ago, it was like the only beer you could find. Yeah, exactly. That sounds insane, but it's almost true.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was as ubiquitous as uh, Mac and Jack's. You know, it was Manny's was everywhere. You just got a Manny's. And as a result, for every 40 days uh, that Georgetown was brewing, 39 of those days were Manny's days. So they would brew 24/7 on shift work, right? So shift brewers would come in and they just brew manis for 39 days straight, and then on the 40th day, they got to brew something different, oh, and man. then it was back to Manning's, right? But and that's because they're set up as a production brewery. That's what you do with a production brewery. Yeah, um, and that's not that's not us here. We're we're much more structured like a brew pub would be. Um, you know, uh, last year last year 2017 because I haven't really crunched numbers for this year um in 2017 we sent out uh about six percent of our overall production went to outside sales and that accounted for less than one percent of our overall revenue uh it's just the way it is yeah so the margins uh, are
0: razor um, thin on on yeah. production scale beer yeah it, which is why you
1: have to which you get you know you have to scale up uh, in order to really chase that wholesale right uh, market because um you know it's all about those razor thin margins you know and if you're making just a little bit of money on every keg you need to make a lot of kegs mm-hmm. uh and and that's just not what we are focused on here right now so
0: yeah do you know have you thought at all about are, are you going to scale up to try to do that or are you looking in a future to scale only your tap room
1: you know if the if the market demands it um the, again the issue is that um a lot much like Rubens, right? How they started at their original space, then they had to move to the new space and now they've moved once again. So now brewery number three. Yeah. Um, And I think they started two years before us, Mm -hmm. roughly. Um, Yeah, and they're on their third facility now. And so it's, you know, this move was really painful uh, for me and my wife. Um, It was just a long drawn out process we went through multiple contractors. The landlord's a jerk. You know, there's a lot of issues. You know, the SBA loan process is incredibly difficult. Um,
0: Second time in two weeks I've heard someone complain about the SBA loan process. Uh, Outlander Brewery. Just mentioned it last week.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with your banker and your bank and how you communicate with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we did not communicate well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know that I... If we were to move again, like when my wife and I talk about it, like, hey, if, if, if this really, you know, things really start moving and we need a bigger facility to accommodate more stuff and everything. Um, we, we've we've talked about it and, and we'd like to be able to keep some kind of footprint here in, in Ballard or at least King County. Um, but any kind of larger scale manufacturing
0: facility would need to be outside the county. Mm-hmm. Um how how close is that idea? Is that like is that something you're sort of if you know, that's just because you've been thinking about it, right? That's just yeah, yeah. That's just talk. There's okay. no real
1: there's no real plans at all.
0: Yeah. Um like I said, we still have
1: plenty of room in our tank farm here to right. expand. So if we if 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 things start rolling then yeah, we can just do that. Yeah. Um th- we just moved. I I feel like we just moved into this place. It's been a little over a year. Yeah. Um so there's still plenty of room to grow here. Uh and, and we're happy with this place right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So
0: you uh you mentioned maybe moving to well, I guess you weren't really gonna move, never move the tab room away from here, but you mentioned kind of moving our other brewery away. Is there anything about Ballard do you like particularly? Uh I live two blocks away. That helps.
1: So I can walk around the corner and go to work. Um the reason that we ended up where we ended up, uh really you know, I was I was in the North Seattle Homebrew Club. I don't know you're aware of this but um we uh, that homebrew club spawned um bainbridge island brewing barry here from lucky envelope was in that club mm-hmm. adam from rubens was in that club kevin northwest peaks uh, he was the first one of the, the homebrewers to actually go off and start his own thing um but i was in that that group forever and so the north seattle homebrew club is part of my history here and, and how i learned to brew um so you know and living just two blocks away, we were just really familiar with this area. Um, and at the time we were looking for commercial real estate and you know, all these commercial real estate brokers were the worst. They just would show you things that you didn't, you know, weren't what you asked for or just wouldn't work. And so we were struggling trying to figure out where we would put the brewery because I knew I wanted to open something. I wanted to open a nano brewery. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the original goal because I went up to north to, um, to Foggy Noggin. And I saw what Jim was doing up in Foggy Noggin, and I was like, wow, this is great. I don't have a garage. Jim has a garage. Yeah. And his brewery's in his garage. This is awesome. Um, Are they still there? Didn't they move? Foggy Noggin is still there, yeah. Okay. He's still doing the same thing. He's got a little shed in the back where he makes one barrel at a time. <laughs> um, great beers, but you know, he doesn't have to move. He's, yeah, you know, open one day a week. Um, and that was kind of my plan. I was like, oh, we can just find a little garage somewhere. Anyway, my wife and I, would come down to 49th Street because we go have a glass of wine at De Monaco Cellars across the street. Um, and we knew Jason, who makes the wine over there. And uh, I was on Craigslist one day, and there was a guy advertising a uh, man cave. And it was the original space. Oh, yeah. And he was renting, like, a man, he's like, come on down and like, put a TV in there or a boat or a couch. You know, your man cave, $500 yeah. a month. So the rent was 500 bucks a month, and... Uh, Right. He, he said a thousand bucks a month. So we went in there and talked him down and said, okay, 500 for the first year, then we'll go to a thousand. Okay, okay. So <laughs> it was it was so close and so inexpensive exp- that it was like, that's just how we ended up there. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's why it took us a year to open because <laughs> I was like, eh, it's only 500 bucks a month. You know, <laughs> you can do uh, you want. we can do whatever you want. Right. So, um, but we, we love the community and we, we love the neighborhood. Like I said, my wife and I have lived here for, for 20 years. And so, um, in love with what Adam was doing with Rubens down the road. Um, so, you know, it means a lot to us to be able to be here on this street, um, and, and be in the the neighborhood, uh, you know, more, more frequently than, you know, um, we would be otherwise, you know, as, as more of a fixture in the community. So, um, yeah, I mean that that's, that's why we're in Ballard. Uh, you know, if we weren't in Ballard, um, I don't know. It's, it's such a good group to be part of, you know, all the Ballard breweries. Even, you know, it, it, we've been going to Maritime for years, been going to Hale's for years. Um, and so, you know, it, 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 there's a lot of history for breweries in Ballard. And, and I'm, I'm happy that we're able to be part of that history.
0: Yeah, um, you mentioned a man cave. I wanted to talk about your old oh. man cave building because <laughs> it funny. really is. As soon as you called it a man cave, I was like, man, that's what it was—a man cave because that is exactly how it was. Just barely big enough to hold what I could see of the brewery, and I, you know, there was just that old fermenter, like there was like one fermenter or like one kettle, kind of out in the hallway, and I didn't even know what was back where the actual brewery was. I thought maybe that was the real thing, but
1: uh, uh, yeah, I mean, well, well, when we started, it was you know, we were we were like I said, you when you. Anytime somebody opens a nano brewery, um, they are opening a nano brewery because they don't have any money. Yeah, uh, and they will try and convince you otherwise, like, "Oh, we want to keep it small or whatever." Yeah, um, no, you go and open a nano brewery because you're broke. So we opened a nano brewery um, because, you know, having never been in this industry before, having never even owned a business before beyond just you know consulting, which is you know so easy. You have not like, too many moving parts. Right. right? Yeah, you've got. No equipment except a laptop and your one employee yourself you know i mean that 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 was the extent of my business experience you know um you know entrepreneurial experience before getting into the brewery um you know you you want to be uh careful when you do those kinds of things you know you're cautious you know i'm not necessarily risk adverse, but uh, it felt like the right way to enter the market for us at the time to say let's do baby steps um and of course Anything made out of stainless steel costs a ton of money. Uh, so we did all the work ourselves over there. We kind of got everything together to the point where um, we could actually open the door. Um, and w- including the accumulated rent over that first year, it was about twenty-eight thousand, maybe thirty-two thousand dollars to to actually get the door open. Um, and that was as a barrel and a half. Right, so strict, straight nano barrel and a half. Yeah, uh, no real cold room, nothing. It was just like get the door open. Um, yeah, and the only reason why that was done was because not wanting to risk a whole lot of capital uh, on an unproven venture. Right. Um, essentially, uh, which I think was the right way to start, but that immediately turns into a temporary situation. Yeah. Uh,
0: it's not sustainable to be an average. Doesn't take very many people to sell out of a barrel and a half brew house no not at all
1: yeah um so even if you in in, in, when we started we had three fermenters right so um there were a number of days where uh we just had one beer on right when we first started i mean people (laughs) come in and there's one beer and it's a bitter i hope you like bitter (laughs) you know um we got real good at making those uh quick beers yeah Uh, learned very fast to make a mild Yeah. You know, like you just dark English mile takes five days. Yeah. You know, ferments out, crashes, clear, carve it, five days. Um, Because that's your, your, that's, you have to turn your fermenters. Yeah. And then from there, we kind of slowly grew just using revenue that was coming into the business to roll it back into the business, hoard all your cash, and then reinvest that into the business in order to grow your capacity so that you're not constantly, you know, feeling the pinch.
0: So those first steps, you'd, you'd gone basically loan free. Uh, investor free, other than yourself, up right. until you had to make this big. You already mentioned the loan you had to take to get the big right. place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And then, you know,
1: um, yeah, we were we were in, uh, investor free, loan free for, uh, you know, the first five years, four and a half, like four years. Um, I was just doing the numbers the other day. I think it was 20, very end of 2016 is when we signed the lease here. Um, So that loan process was already happening. Uh, So that was about four years, about four years without a loan. Um, And and the big reason is just because, you know, once you move into a bigger building, um, you have to weigh your um, expenditures, right? You like, so, okay, I could do all the work myself again, but on a building that is five times smaller than my present building, Mm -hmm. it took me a year
0: Right. Right.
1: So now all of a sudden the
0: rent's more in and my it, bigger building. And it'll be adding up a lot faster. It's so going to take
1: me three years to do it myself. I'm yeah. not going to pay rent for three years with no, you know, no building open. So I'm like, I'm going to pay a contractor who knows what they're doing a ton of money to get it done quicker so that that money goes to the contractor instead of the landlord. It's just really like, yeah, where do you want your money to go? Right. And also, I'm not killing myself trying to like do stuff over here. And it was the smart thing to do. It was, um, we had one contractor who just kind of flaked out on us, and then um, we really, uh, thankfully, to due to my wife's connections at her day job because um, they do a lot of uh, building construction. Um, she works in affordable housing. Um, she had some connections with with some contractors that um, really helped us out here. Raffin uh, was our contractor, and um, you know by the time they came in, swung that first hammer. I think it was two and a half months until we were. Brewing in here. Wow like it, they really nailed it and, uh, and I couldn't be happier with their work. So um, Yeah, uh, what was the question?
0: We were talking about the man cave. Oh, right. right. I think I was wondering Oh, well, I guess what I'm wondering now is you so you still have it. You're still renting it, right?
1: Yes Yeah, we still have it. Um, so it's, it's a little odd the way um, the, the deal is here. It's you know, two different leases Um, that kind of split the yard down the middle. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in order for us to keep the big yard, we we keep the the old space. Uh. Um, And, you know, we have a lot more space here, uh, which is nice. Uh, We've got this arcade up front, and then we've got a spare room across the way for smaller parties. uh, We can stick them in the front room up here. Um, But for larger parties, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, Corporate events, birthday parties, that kind of thing. It's nice to have the uh, the old space together. It still has the draft system in there. Still got still has the cold room. Oh yeah. Um, we just pulled all the equipment out and made you know a nicer space, spruced it up, and, mm-hmm. and really. Um, now that's what we do with it is is basically uh, we rent it out as an event space. Cool. Um, yeah, and that's been working out great for us.
0: In terms of so, this might be too much of a details question for you to be comfortable answering, but like, is is that. A reasonable Is that a good investment? Sort of having that as a as a space? Is it is it, is it paying for itself? Uh, you know, I think so.
1: Like I said, because of the way that the lease is, it, it kind of splits the yard with the yeah. uh, with the old space. So um, it's hard to say, right? Because um, it, it it helps it helps us to retain control over it. Because mm-hmm. if we didn't, then the landlord could do something, right, over there. Um, Am really, right? really anything. So. Uh, it's funny because like i feel like now that i'm in the same position that my neighbors are in where um my neighbors you see the way the street is it's split up residential mm-hmm. it's a very mixed use in this this area mm-hmm. so that's residential over there but right where the brewery is we're zoned IB 45 industrial buffer 45. um and so because this is the industrial buffer the landlord can really do anything with. The other, the
0: other side is industrial. Right, okay. right. Yeah,
1: exactly. So if, if we weren't maintaining the lease um, at the old tasting room, if we gave that back to the landlord, landlord could turn around and lease that to a paint factory or yeah. somebody's going to slaughter hogs or anything, really. Sausage factory. Um, so the unknown yeah. is, is questionable. So we, we hold on to it to sort of maintain the character yeah. of the space. And I think... Maintaining the character of, of of the space and of the yard and everything, the beer garden, I think all of that helps us in a sort of soft ROI that mm-hmm. really can't be explained. Right until it's too late, until you give it up and there's a paint
0: factory. Yeah, you know. Yeah, right. uh, have you ever thought about giving it to another brewery or helping another, letting another brewery move in?
1: You know, with with Fair Isle moving in down the street, um, you know, maybe that's enough breweries on Forty Ninth Street. <laughs> Uh, there's a winery um, across the street, Across the, so I, we have brewery, we have winery, we have two breweries. Um, I would like to see a cider maker. If, if, if I was multiple man, right, if I could just clone myself, um, if I had some way to stop time. Yeah, or, get
0: your brother over there or something. Right, exactly,
1: uh, the guy with the sideburns. Um, <laughs> if I could stick him over there, then then we'd be doing something, cider, sake something complimentary um that isn't beer or wine mm-hmm. uh, i think that would be great to put in over there um, but again the way it's working right now it, it's really working out for us to have just you know parties and, and events and things like that over there yeah everybody's always looking for an event space around here and um you know with all the outdoor space with the fire pits and everything i think it, it really fills a, a need that the community has so I'm, I'm happy to keep it the way it is
0: Okay. Yeah, your yard out there is really cool. So you guys get food trucks back there. You got lots of space. It's a really neat spot. Um, you want to talk about that at all? Like about the kind of events you have, or like some of the benefits you get from having that big yard? Yeah, no, we do a bunch of stuff.
1: Um, it's it's nice to have the yard, especially you know with the way that the uh, the neighborhood's changing. Um, a lot of um, a lot of the old single family homes are being torn down, and in their place, you're putting up uh, townhomes. And these townhomes um, are, are nice, we need more housing, there needs to be more density. Uh, but as a result, you end up losing yards, right? So people end up not having a yard anymore. They have these little balconies that they st- tack on the outside that the city cons- considers out- outdoor area or whatever. But it's not, a, it's not a yard and so having the big beer garden here really helps us um, kind of become you know, the sort of de facto yard for folks who live in the denser urban core. Um, and so we keep a lot of games out there we always have cornhole out um, yard games we do um, yearly uh, with the other breweries we do the uh, putt-putt challenge where we do you know every brewery sets up their own golf course and ours is always outside so that's a lot of fun other the other breweries end up having to put them inside by the fermenters or whatever and we can always stretch out you know gives us space to play and like you mentioned the food trucks um, gives them plenty of space to park um, One of the challenges that food trucks have is that uh, the city requires a permit if you park on the street. So by offering them a place to park, you know, on the land that we lease, um, there's no permit involved. And so really it costs them nothing to come by and park there. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're just right here. It's obvious they're not around the corner. They're not over somewhere else. That's, you know, they can cozy up right next to the tasting room. So that's, that's been good, um, especially in the winter. Um. Yeah, and then just you know having room to stretch out. We we're, we're really family friendly here, and so we end up with a lot of kids. Kids get bored at breweries, and so they they end up going outside and running around, um, quite a bit. Uh, also, same thing in the summertime with dogs. You know, people can just come with their dog and, and park outside, send somebody in to grab beer, and it just it. Seattle has a real appetite for outdoor seating. Yeah. So uh, we're real happy to have. Uh, that biggest beer garden in Ballard so
0: yeah um i'd say yeah like that they're the giant patio over at peddler really does them well and i remember just like i don't even bother with rubens cuz their patio is like always so crowded cuz it's got space for 10 whole people on it you know like it's such a tiny little place uh but Peddler's has a pretty big one but you guys here at populux have a, like a very fun patio We were talking about beers, you know, your IPAs. I really love your dark beers. I just finished off your stout, it's so good. I had your porter a while ago. You don't brew often. Tell me a little bit about your beer. Uh, I brew beer.
1: Um. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, That's like the saying, dream. Like, like I was saying before, um, it's, it's, it's me alone on the hot side, so it's, mm-hmm. it's really just, you know, um, sort of my... Um, it's the beer I want to brew, uh, essentially. Um, because we don't go very hard in the wholesale market. Um, I get to be as creative as I want. We put a lot of different beers on at the tasting room, um, and, uh, and we do that because I want people to come back and try, and, uh, try out the new things, try out new, um, you know, whatever I've come up with. Um, being small gives us the flexibility to uh, try uh, new raw materials, new ingredients, things that... Um, you know some of the bigger guys don't have time to experiment with um, because they're turning their IPA tanks constantly um, and so I, I that's why I fell in love with brewing to begin with um, is is that creative process it's a creative outlet for me um, you know it as, as much as it is a business that that we try to keep moving forward um, that, that business is tied directly to my efforts in the brew house to be innovative, be creative, keep different things on, um, and, and try to do new, th- new stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, how viable that is commercially, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure that we could just be Great Notion and turn out hazy IPAs all day and people would love us for it.
0: Um, God, Great Notion's in the news. Like, uh, every single time I hop on freaking Facebook or, like, any, any anyone or anyone was talking about beer, I was like, yeah, great notion. Yeah. Whatever. I, like, I don't, I don't get it. I went there; it was fine. It was uh, like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: So I mean, I'm not, and I'm not saying like you know they do their thing; and that's great. I'm, I'm, you know, it's, um, I'm sure they're they're happy with it. It's just that was never my goal. My goal was always to stretch as wide and as broadly as I could, um, because it's it's that creative process that yeah. that I it is why i do this ultimately at the at the very at the end of the day you know i had a job for you know 15 20 years that was not very creative um and and you know it 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 just left a a hole i think yeah um in in what i wanted to do um and so that's why the board when you come into Populux, is always going to have something new on it always going to have something different um because you know it's 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 what drives me in in the in the brew house.
0: So you mentioned how you love you know the whole, the reason you love it is because you get to be creative, you get to do what you want, you get to try out new things and new ingredients. What are some of the constraints that come along with that though? Because obviously you can't just brew whatever you want. You're not out there inventing all kinds of crazy recipes. Like I look at your recipe your menu board, and it still has you know stout, porter, IPA, uh, and then all the the classic stuff. Right. Remember coming back here in the summer, do you still have the pineapple IPA on? There was a plum something something barrel-aged, or maybe not even barrel-aged, but there was a plum something I used to have back when you guys were in the old place.
1: Yep. No, it, that was our, our plum porter. Uh, yeah. We used to do that one every fall. Um, yeah, I like a lot of fruit beers. Yeah. You know? Uh, you're right. You, you can't just do whatever, right? Like, um, But then you make three bourbon barrel-aged imperial stouts in a row, and you don't want to make them anymore, right? So yeah. it would never be just me making whatever. It's 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 trying new things means that that the beers that are in production are always going to be different. Um, and so I guess what I try to avoid is just that monoculture of you know we are a Belgian brewery, mm-hmm. we are an IPA brewery, we are we only do sours. You know um, people. When I was first starting out, um, starting the business, one of the things that I would hear all the time from people who are in the know and in the business, they would ask you, "Okay, but what makes your brewery different? What makes your beer different?" And and that that question would just bother me to no end because it seemed like a lazy. It's it's a it's a question in search of a, a lazy answer. The lazy answer is. We only do Belgian beer. Well, okay, why though? Why, why, would, why would you constrain yourself to only doing Belgian beer? Right? This is the US. This is craft beer in the US. We can do whatever we want. You can do whatever you want. Right? So I make Belgian beers, but I don't make only Belgian beers. And I, and I feel like it's a disservice to your customer as well to, to dumb it down for them. To say, here's what you can expect when you come to my place. Expect this. And, and if you get... Something that isn't this, um, you're going to be angry, right? Because oh, I went to um, you know wherever, and and I and I couldn't believe it. it. Like they had an American ale on, and it was it was all Belgians, and they had like one IPA, and they're sellouts. They're making IPA now, like you know. It's just it's like no, like they they you know you don't when you constrain yourself to a specific style, or you say I just do wild fermented farmhouse yada yada. Um, I feel like you're just, uh, you're setting yourself up to be less creative. You can be creative within those constraints, but you really have to constrain yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I avoid here, is I don't, you know, what does Populex Brewing do? Beer. We do beer. And it's any kind of beer that I, I'll make a lager, I'll make barrel-aged sours, I, I'll make dark milds, and I'll make IPAs. and I, I I don't like that idea that I can I, I would have to end up constraining myself because just to just to answer that question what makes you different right? yeah because what makes you different is like oh uh,
0: I'm just a different person yeah, I, yeah that, that question needs an answer like it's got to have one but it, you're right it just can't be I brew this kind of beer I right that yeah exactly yeah. oh
1: we only do lager oh yeah Are you familiar with uh, you know chuckanut we're like them only not as good you know it's it's it, the the question just is is. Um, it feels less like a brewing question and more like a marketing question. Yeah. And when you're when you're asking yourself marketing questions, uh, that's when it's like, okay, you could you could be in marketing and sell anything, right? That's you could true. sell shoes or cars or, right? Yeah. What makes Subaru different? Oh, this is what makes. <laughs> well, Subaru. it's Look like, at yeah.
0: it's, like, it's like a normal car, but it's <laughs> like a little different. Exactly. I yeah. So I. I
1: <laughs> That kind of question always bothered me because that is definitely not what I got into this business for. I did not mm-hmm. get into this business to, you know, do whatever the guys in marketing tell me to do.
0: Yeah, <laughs> You can, I found that you can detect that the moment you look at a, at a menu board, right? Whether or not the brewer there or the, the, the brewery itself has that sort of freedom to be as creative as it wants to be. Because they, they do what I, like, I, for lack of a better term, I like to call them, they have hair-colored beers, right? They always have they always have a blonde they always have something dark they always got something red they got you know da, 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 da. they got something brown they got something of every color and that sort of is like sure that's a great way to start building a like a, a variety of beers on your menu when you sort of should hit all the hair colors but um but you if you do that exclusively you wind up with the ram or you know one of those breweries that just or right you can go uh, the you, yeah. you can definitely go the opposite direction and, yeah. and and
1: end up like that and um you know in that in that is a function of, you know, who your market is. Yeah. You know, um, I see that in particular with uh, with folks who are trying to go wholesale hard, right? Because it, it, as long as you have every one of those hair colors on your list, then you go to a bar, the bartender's going to turn around and be like, well, I don't have a red, you know? And yeah. then that, that's a different way to sort of mm-hmm. be lazy about things, you know, to say, oh, okay, well, we just have to have one of everything and we'll go to market like that. Um, yeah. I mean, and then... But, you know, then you end up using the same yeast for everything. It's just like, oh, we'll just throw a little bit more of this, a little bit less of that. And here's our different beer. Um, yeah, and I don't, you know, you don't want to do that either. Um, but then it's like, okay, I almost don't know. I, there are definitely, the, the Ram is craft beer and I, and I get what they're doing. Uh, but it's, you know, they're... It's a different vibe. It's a different market. Right. That's H.P. McGillicuddy's over at the, the mall. You know, it's not, it's not, uh, yeah, it's a different vibe, different market. Totally.
0: Yeah. So. Um, so in the same vein of what makes your beer special, I mean, I know that you personally put a lot of effort in every beer you make. Let's talk water, hops, malt, yeast. Uh, let's start with the water because I know that you, I know personally that you do that a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I do that a lot. I just, I, um, ever, ever, all the, so the water in Seattle is, um, we're blessed here with really soft water. Um, everything is groundwater. Uh, basically, it's all snow melt or, or rainfall. Um, so it doesn't spend a lot of time in the ground. So we don't have hard water. It's, it's soft water. Uh, groundwater um, in places, you know, if, you're, if you've got a, a metropolitan area that's dry, then you're pulling water out of an aquifer typically, and so that's already run through limestone. So it's got a lot of carbon, it's a lot of calcium. Um, and, and you end up having to either, you know, strip that water to get the, the minerals out and start over, or you just work with what you have. Uh, but in Seattle, it's all surface water, rainwater. We we're coming off the um, Tolt um, reservoir down here. Uh, and so we end up having to build our water back. Um, not a ton but um, i I like to get enough calcium ions into my brewing liquor to um, help the yeast flock out you know um, give a little bit crisper mouthfeel to what would otherwise be um, you know sort of softer flabbier um, uh, kind of beer great for for lagers the kind of water we have here uh, but less so for some of the english styles um you know obviously the hop forward stuff, um, you want to get some more gypsum into your, into your brewing liquor to help those pop, the, the, the hops really pop uh, on your tongue. Uh, a lot of my dark beers, I, I do a little bit of um, table salt with those just to um, help those darker malts kind of come through. Um, you know, it's, it's not a ton of different stuff that I do, but, you know, if somebody's, certainly if somebody's brewing in, in Seattle, just using Seattle water, they can make a perfectly fine beer with the way the water is. Um, but just being more familiar with the water and being more familiar with the, the cyclical nature of the water too in the city. Um, this year was particularly weird because it's been a little bit drier. And so when it's drier, they draw the reservoir down uh, and the, the lower, the closer to the bottom they get, the more um, their uh, organic load goes up when they're at the city um, checking the water constantly. So they end up adding a little bit more chlorine to it hmm. and things like that. Um, so I, I try to stay abreast of that water report. City's really bad at letting us know when things are getting muddy. Um, and I run, we, we double filter all of our water here. So everything gets filtered before it goes in uh, to the liquor tank. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, not a, it's not a ton of effort that we put into the water, but I think it's enough that it, it helps the beer stand out a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, just quality. Yeah. So. Okay. Yep. Uh, the BA puts out a good book on water. If anybody's interested, they can check that water book out. It's uh, it gets a little bit technical, but it's uh, it's a good one.
0: I think I've read I've read the one that was like just called water. Yep. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good book. Yeah. And I've read the other ones too. So what about the hop book? What do you have there? What do you have about that? What's your hop book? What's your what's your, what's your hop life like?
1: You know, hops are just. Um, you know, I, it, the, the, the hops are a little bit more, um, harder, for, harder to control, right? So uh, water is, is easy to control if you know what you're starting with, mm-hmm. um, because it just comes out of the pipe and then it's here. It's mine. I have it now and I can manipulate it the way that I want it to be. Um, hops come out of the ground, go to the processor, <laughs> then get to me and they change every year. Uh, so and, and once I get them that's what I got uh, so the hops I have this year are different than the hops I got last year and the year before because it's an agricultural product right and it's it's a and it has a lifespan right so it's the second that they're harvested uh, they're deteriorating so uh, they change over time and there's nothing I can do I can't I can't like breathe life into old hops you know <laughs> like there's just that's what they are um, and so there's a lot more adjustment and working with those hops to try and get what you want out of them. Um, I think a lot of people would be, a lot of home brewers would be surprised at just how much manipulation goes into uh, hop loads and hop usage year after year uh, in order to, for a brewery to um, maintain that, that window of, of um, uh, acceptable, uh, uh, sensory, uh, feedback, you know, from their beers. Um, so we, we don't, uh, I used to have a beer here called Citra Red, uh, the variability of Citra year after year meant that that beer tasted different year after year. And, um, it, it was very popular, but what I learned from that was that, um, those single hop beers, consistency year after year really depends on the harvest year after year. So I, I could brew it the exact same way and it's going to change. And there's nothing I can do about that because that all happened at the farm. Right. What you're tasting is drought four months ago, mm-hmm. you know, or too much rain four months ago. Uh, and so what uh, what I do now with basically 90% of my beers is, is to try and vary my hop load to get a particular hop character that I want out of this beer. Um, And that helps me because with variability year after year, I can still approximate that beer by either, you know, adjusting my Amarillo's down and ramping up my mosaics. If Amarillo is a little too flowery this year, you know, um, and, and, you know, I want to bring in more of that sort of funky citrus, you know, bring in more mosaic. and, and so that's where a lot of the art kind of happens. The water, is science, the hops are more, um, you know, manipulating that, that perception, the sensory perception, and, and, the, and the cust- what the customer gets out of the beer.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you go about noticing the difference between citras one year to the next? Because if you brew a beer with citra and then hold on to it for a year and it kind of takes it side by side to, you know, to this year's citra, same beer, two different years hops, but now it's it's not that's not the only variable now you have a whole year's worth of aging on that beer that's been in there so when you taste the two side by side like they can't you can't really learn much no
1: i'm never comparing the um i'm never comparing the beer to itself right i'm never comparing the beer year after year uh to like oh the previous beer or the beer from 2014 right Mm -hmm. like because when you compare it to the beer from 2014 um you're comparing it to a memory and your memory's faded and you can't just open that beer up and drink because now the beer is old. Yeah. Um, you have to compare it to the beer in your head. Right. So is this the beer in my head? Um, you know, and, and you could say, well, in 2014, I nailed the beer in my head. But in 2015, you know, it took me twice as much Citra to, to nail the beer in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you just start out with the idea of, is this the beer that I want? to make. And so it's always, uh, you're referencing your internal, uh, you know, picture of what the beer should be. Is this the beer that I want to make? Is this the beer that it should be? And so that's your, your point of reference. It's never like, oh, this has to be consistent to last year's beer. It just has to be that in that narrow range that I need it to be, to be acceptable as the beer. Right. You know, um, the CDA is a, is a good, um, um, example of that, our, our Cascadian Dark Ale. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know exactly what that beer should be. I know what, how it should taste, and, and I know what I want it to be. And so, um, you know, in in that, that's heavy Mosaic and Amarillo. Um, amarillo has more ver- variability, I think, than Mosaic. So I end up um, either pulling my punches with the Amarillo if it's if it's too flowery, too almost has like a tartness this year. Um, that. Uh, that's a little odd, um, but, you know, that's a beer where I'm, I'm constantly blending my hop additions to try and achieve the beer that's in my head, not the beer that I brewed two years ago or three years ago or whatever, because even then at that time, two, three years ago, I was still trying to brew the beer that's in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you just have to work with the, the raw materials that you have and, and, and do the best you can to, to recreate those. One thing that I think a lot of homebrewers get stuck on is that, oh, you know, consistency is, you know, the key. You have to be consistent. You know, um, once you go pro, it's all about consistency. And, and you know, this isn't Budweiser. It's, it's not about consistency, right? It's about creativity, innovation. Um, I, I don't, if I made the same four and a half percent pale lager every day and I sent it to the lab and the lab, you know, because my cans are going to every gas station in the country, yeah. Consistency is important, right? Um, but being a craft brewer means that you have to work with the materials that are available to you and just do the best you can to produce the beer that is the, like I said, the right beer, um, for your, for your brand. Uh, certain things are easier, easier to control. Um, like I said, the water is easy to control. Malt, um, you can get malt analysis to know exactly where the variabilities are in your malt. Malt does change, um, and uh, you know, but not too dramatically. Certainly, no nowhere near the way that that hops have their own variability. Um, and you know, maltsters and and you know, they're blending this, tons of different farmers, and then everything gets malted in one place, and then they just kind of blend it all into a giant tank and put it in the sack. Um, and then yeast, you know, the, the last thing being yeast. And yeast is almost entirely under my control. I know exactly when this yeast is behaving well and when it isn't and when it's gonna get me the results that I want versus not. Um, so, you know, really the, the, the main variable driver there is for, for the beers that I'm making, um, the one that you would notice is the, is the hops. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm making a mild, you know, I know, okay, I, I hit my starting gravity I'm going to end up with a 3.8% dark mild. It's not going to be pretty, it's not going to really be any different than the one I made two three years ago. That doesn't really matter. It's the one that's in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but the art comes in in managing your, your hops. And also, you know, being a small brewery like we are, we're on the spot market, right? So I don't have a lot of contracts for hops. Um, so I'm ending up trying to get hops where I can. Um, either, you know, on the spot market from distributors or from other breweries, you know, who've overcontracted, So, uh, it's, it's, there's a lot more, you have to be a lot more flexible and creative with your hop usage. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're this size.
0: What's the threshold for where you you would start getting contracts? Is it like a barrel number or, you know, certain number of pounds of hops you're trying to buy?
1: Not really. I mean, um, it, it really all depends on that, that kind of thing. If we had a flagship, Right. And like I said, with the, with the list, I, I keep everything pretty flexible and creative. We don't do flagships here, but if I had a flagship beer that used a ton of whatever, um, then, yeah, it, it makes sense pretty close up to say, OK, let's start contracting so that I'm never running out. Mm. Right. But if you have a flagship like, like that, then Manny's, for instance, if it's going out the door like hotcakes, then, yeah, you need whatever hop is required to make that beer. So you contract, um, and, and because we just we're not in that position right now, um, you know we keep it flexible, and I you know the flexibility of the spot market helps. Um, I could do some contracting now, but um, you know maybe two three years down the line is when we actually look at that. Um, just because you know, there are certain hops that I use a lot of. I use a lot of Mosaic. I use a lot of Amarillo. Uh, a lot of Citra.
0: Um, what was your day job, real quick? I was I said I was going to ask about that. And...
1: Yeah, I was a um, computer guy. Computer guy? Yeah.
0: Tech company? Uh, no, I was in healthcare. Okay.
1: Um, and so I, I worked with um, uh, frighteningly ancient technology. Nice. Uh, that is the backbone of the American healthcare system. That, yeah. Uh, oh. So, yeah, I used uh, bubble gum and paperclips to keep things going. <laughs>
0: um, and lived in the basement. And, uh, yep. Yeah. Lining round question. Name your three most inspirational breweries. Maybe the three that you kind of, you know, yeah, inspired you to do this, the kind of you're modeling yourself after.
1: Uh, Inspirational breweries. Um, What am I, I'm not modeling myself after anybody. (laughs) It would be cool if I was, if there was another brewery that was doing what I was doing. I'd probably hang out there a lot. Um, Boy, uh, inspirational breweries. Um, I think Deschutes really does a very good job of, uh managing their um you know core lineup in in their flagship beers but Mm. also being creative and they've managed to do that in a way that a lot of other other big breweries failed to do Mm. Uh, a lot of other big breweries expanded with just their core lineup and lost sight of that sort of interesting innovative stuff um you know but i get the abyss every year and i think it's a great beer Pike downtown does a really good job too as as far as staying creative and innovative but keeping their core lineup. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a built-in tourist crowd there that helps as well. Of course. Um, I mentioned Chuckanut earlier. Just do does a fantastic job with what they have. I think you'll as you talk to brewers a lot of them personally drink a lot of lager Mm -hmm. um, because you just you know your palate gets tired you know and if I'm just gonna have lunch I'll have a Chuckanut with my lunch. It's like yeah, it's a good beer day.
0: I actually, met them a couple weeks ago. They're really yeah, they're, they're fantastic they're really, duo. Yeah. Okay, so Chuckanut, Deschutes, and Pike. Yep. Ever played this game before? Marry, bang, kill. Which ones you marry? Which ones you bang? And which ones you kill? Um. Uh... Boy, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to if you think that makes you uncomfortable. kill. Okay, really I, I would
1: love to give all three
0: of those uh, fine breweries a firm handshake. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. That's good enough for me. Pete, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. We're over here at Populux and Ballard, and just this was awesome. Thanks. Sorry I rambled there. No, no, absolutely. Let's grab a beer. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Pete. Next time you're in Ballard, make sure you hit up Populux. I'll be back soon for a stout. Thanks for listening to Washington Beer Talk. If you like what you heard, you can go to cyclingcicerone.com for the full blog posts and other episodes. Don't forget to follow the Cycling Cicerone on Facebook and Instagram for more beer-related antics. You can also find more episodes of the podcast on Stitcher, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to leave a like or comment.